Many of us have heard before the accusations that Christians are so unlike Christ. That they are so angry and arrogant or closed-minded and defensive or hostile and intolerant, judgmental and self-righteous. And sometimes it's not difficult to see where those ideas come from. Because in the name of standing up for what is right, Christians have sometimes said the most unkind and insulting things. Way back in the 17th century, the great Puritan preacher Richard Baxter wrote a pamphlet in which he lumped the Quakers with drunkards, swearers, whoremongers and sensual wretches. They had a real way with words in those days. And in response, the Quaker leader, James Naylor, called his Puritan opponent a serpent, a liar, a cursed hypocrite, and a dumb dog. Nice, eh? These days, people don't write pamphlets as much, I guess. But you see that kind of language used as Christians aggressively fight their battles on their blogs or on social media or in the comment sections on many websites. Maybe that's why some people say that we should always just stay quiet and refuse to be drawn into any argument or discussion. They often quote Jesus' words, Do not judge or you too will be judged. To justify the idea that we have no right to confront what anyone else says or does. Just Stay silent. But are these really the only two options available? Do we really need to fight in an aggressive and hostile way? Or just keep quiet and stand for nothing? Well, Paul didn't think so. In 2 Corinthians He gives us an illustration of how we can fight in a way that is like Christ. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, just verse 1 down to verse 6. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ... I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Paul knew that he was in a battle. He was being criticised 
and condemned by those who had infiltrated this church. And a substantial number in the church were starting to listen into, listen to and side with these people who'd come into the church. And over the course of the next few passages in this letter, we're going to see some of the accusations that were leveled against Paul. They included that he spoke too much about his authority in Christ as an apostle. They said that he didn't have a close relationship with Christ. They said that he wasn't a trained speaker. Or that he refused a salary from them. And they said his ministry was inferior to theirs. It wasn't spectacular enough. It wasn't supernatural enough. But in the passage that we read this morning, the accusation was that Paul was brave when he was writing to them. But he was a coward when he was was speaking to them face to face. Verse 1, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. Paul uses his own name here. Do you see that? I, Paul? Maybe because his name actually meant small or little. Maybe in their minds, his name just emphasised what the problem was. Paul just didn't look good enough. He didn't sound impressive enough. As he said in verse 10, people were saying his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive. And his speaking amounts to nothing. So what should Paul have done in that situation? How should he have responded to these attacks? Sometimes the right thing to do when we're criticised or condemned is to refuse to be drawn into a confrontation. Jesus did this at some points in his trial before Pilate. Mark chapter 15 says this, The chief priests accused Jesus of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But still Jesus made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. And then when Peter was writing his first letter, this guy who used to be someone who would just jump in with both feet, he used Jesus, his response in that situation, in that trial, he used that as a lesson for us to follow. When we are accused and attacked, 1 Peter chapter 2 Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. When they hurled their insults at him he did not retaliate. When he suffered he made no threats. Instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We do not need to defend ourselves every time we're attacked or criticised. We don't need to protect our reputation any time somebody badmouths us. That's because in the end, what other people think really doesn't 
matter. All that matters is what God thinks of us. And we can trust that he will always judge justly. So we don't always need to respond. We can stay silent. But staying silent isn't always the right thing to do. Paul in this situation didn't stay silent. Paul believed that he had to speak up. To confront what people were saying about him. Verse 6 he says, We will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. He was calling this church to obey Christ by accepting his ministry as Christ's apostle. And when they did this, he would then challenge and oppose and punish these critics for what they've been doing. That was because Paul knew that this was a really serious issue. Because these critics were not just Christians with a slightly different point of view. Instead, as Paul calls them later on in chapter 11 of this letter, they were false apostles. And they were preaching about a Jesus other than the one that we preached. And so their message was a completely different gospel. This battle that was going on here in this church was not a personality clash. It wasn't a competition for a ministry role or church position. Rather, this was a fight for the truth of the gospel. This battle was for the faith of these Christians, for the future of this church, and for the hope of this city. Because if this church had rejected Paul, if they had just moved away from the gospel that Paul was preaching, that gospel of grace and faith in Christ alone, then this church would not, no longer be a gospel-centered community. They'd no longer be able to enjoy the freedom that they had in Christ. And they'd also have no light to share to share with those who are still lost in sin in that city of Corinth. In speaking up, Paul was not defending himself so much as he was defending the gospel. And that's what we see in Jesus' life. For example, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus stands up and says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, You hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. He confronted these men head on. Because they were not only rejecting salvation for themselves, but through their influence and through their teaching and through their example, They were leading other people away from the gospel as well. And Jesus called his followers to similarly be on their guard against the influence. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the the Sadducees. Be on your guard against those who will lead people in the wrong way. 
think that we get to God by being good and keeping rules and regulations and laws. Because if you go down that road, you've, you've gone away from Christ. You've gone away from salvation. So maybe a helpful guide to know whether we should stay silent or whether we should speak up is when it's just our reputation, when it's just our character that is under attack. In those situations we can stay silent because we know that God will judge justly one day. But when it's the good news of Jesus that's under attack, when it is being distorted, when it has been hidden, then we need to speak up. Because there's just too much at stake. So Paul warned the leaders of the church in Ephesus. He said, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. We need to stand up and defend the gospel. We need to stand up and preach the truth. But how we do that, how we defend the gospel, how we speak the truth, how we confront the error and those who would speak lies, how we do that is absolutely critical. The critics of Paul ridiculed them because they wrongly thought that we live by the standards of the world, that he lived by the standards of this world. The world of the Corinthians valued good looks, powerful personalities, superior intelligence, impressive eloquence, professional credentials. The false teachers thought that they had them and they expected Paul to try to compete with them on that level. But Paul just plainly refused. As a child of God, he was going to fight God's way. He says in verse 3, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. He wasn't going to compete with them on appearance or image. He wasn't trying to show us the power of his personality by manipulating or pressurizing people to do what he wanted. He wasn't going to try and dazzle his audience with his stunning vocabulary or intellectual arguments or emotional delivery. He wasn't going to try and prove his qualifications with bits of paper or the recommendations of others. He refused to fight this battle in a worldly way. He wrote about this in his first letter to this church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he says that when he visited Corinth the very first time, he says this, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. Paul refused to try and preach the gospel of God in their way. He refused to preach the gospel that way and he refused to defend the gospel against these new attacks in that worldly way. And so he says in verse 1 of our passage, he spoke to them 
by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. To many people, meekness is not an attractive quality. Sounds like someone who's a bit too timid, a bit spineless, afraid. Someone who's too weak to fight their own battles. But meekness and gentleness is not weakness. Rather, it's about using our strength, but using it under the control of our love for other people. It's about being humble, being considerate, being courteous. Refusing to assert ourselves for our own interests and instead always seeking the good of other people. It's about being like Jesus. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem as king, he didn't come to force himself on anyone or to beat them into submission. But instead he came gentle and riding on a donkey. Humbly inviting people to accept him and to experience his grace. Then in Matthew 11, he calls out to a broken and oppressed world, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls this is why we don't need to be afraid to come to Jesus because he's gentle with us he won't treat us harshly he won't crush us instead he will use his power but he'll use it to heal us and to restore us and to lead us and to protect us It's the meekness of Christ that draws us to him. To depend on him for all that we need. And this is what Paul wanted to express every time he declared the gospel. Every time he was teaching the church. Every time he was challenging a struggling believer. Or every time he was confronting his critics. It didn't stop him from speaking up. It didn't stop him from saying some really tough things. But it changed how he said them. It changed how he spoke. And he teaches us to do the same. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. To the churches in Galatia, he says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. And he wrote to his friend Timothy that as the Lord's servant, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. So reflecting the meekness and gentleness of Christ doesn't mean that we're going to avoid all arguments. 
It doesn't mean we're going to be so afraid of offending somebody that we're not just going, we're going to refuse to say anything. But it does mean that we're going to refuse to try to dominate or to force our opinions or to shout somebody down or destroy that person that we're speaking with. Instead, we're going to be courageously and yet carefully speaking the truth in love with gentleness, with respect, inviting people. And that's all we can do is invite people to submit to Christ as we have submitted to Him. So yes, sometimes we need to speak up. But we need to do it God's way. But we also need to fight with God's weapons. Look at verse 4, please. Paul said, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Why was that? Well, the main reason for that is because Paul knew that he wasn't just in a battle with other human beings. He knew that he wasn't in a battle just against these, these guys, these false apostles who'd come into the church. We'll see later in this letter that Paul reminded the Corinthians that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And these false teachers, these false apostles, were Satan's servants. He says that in chapter 11, verse 15. So, confronting these false apostles was a spiritual battle. Not so much against these these human beings, these guys, but against the power behind them. And it's the same for us. Ephesians 6. In 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So if we are in a spiritual battle, then we cannot just fight with human resources. Or or we're going to lose every time. We can't just rely on our own intelligence or ingenuity or energy. We need God's weapons if we're going to fight this battle effectively. And so Paul said that he fought this with weapons that have divine power to demolish strongholds. Weapons that have God's power. Paul wasn't fighting this battle in his own strength. He wasn't relying on his own arguments or eloquence. He didn't rely on his ability to persuade or convince people. Instead, he knew that he was depending on God to work through him. And he knew that nothing and no one can stand against God. This is why he said in this first visit to Corinth, verses that encourage me so much. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. As we'll see later on in this letter, this was, a, this was a lesson that Paul learned through a particularly difficult time in his life. At that time, the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect 
in a weakness. So that's why he didn't need to try and be as impressive as other people were. That's why he didn't need to compete with these false apostles. And we are called to fight this battle in that same way. We can stand and confidently face the enemies in our lives because we can be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Our success in standing doesn't rely on our own strength, our own resources, our own competence. Rather, it depends on God's unlimited strength. God's unending resources and His ability to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. We need to fight with God's power. But not just rely on God's power, we also need to clearly and consistently declare God's truth. Verse 5 of our chapter. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul didn't fight to persuade people of his own ideas. He didn't struggle to get people to agree with him. Instead, he declared the wisdom and the knowledge of God as revealed in the person and work of Christ. And he called people to submit to Christ. Of course, he knew that many people wouldn't. They would ridicule it. They would rebel against it. They might even reject it completely. But Paul wrote that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Yes, other people might think weak or foolish or offensive, but the message of Jesus dying on the cross to pay for our sins and to free us from death and hell is still worth sharing. Because it's the only message that has the power to save. So Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone. Everyone who believes. So this world doesn't need our persuasive arguments. This world doesn't need our innovative ideas. Or our powerful personalities. All this world needs is for us to share the message of Christ crucified. Clearly, consistently, faithfully. Because it's that gospel of Christ that sets people free. So this is why Paul's critics didn't know what they were talking about. This is why his limitations and his weaknesses in the end didn't matter. This is why he didn't need to compete with those false teachers in showing off his abilities. And this is why Paul could follow Christ's example of being gentle and meek. And yet he could powerfully be powerfully effective in standing for the truth of the gospel. Because he knew that his role was to declare God's truth. And to rely on God's power to defeat the spiritual forces of evil. To open up people's minds. To impact their hearts. To transform their thinking. And ultimately to change their lives. 
And that's what we are called to as well, folks. That's what we are called to, to fight like Christ. To stand and preach and defend the gospel. But to do it in a way that honours the one that we love. Because he first loved us.